Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is the man who jumped out of Queen Elizabeth's birthday cake, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm covered in icing. Yeah, you are. <laughs> right? It's so simple. Uh, yeah. If you want to tweet Queen Elizabeth happy birthday, you can do that by following us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, and we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash romancircuspod. All right, Zach, what's going Matt. on? We're a week. We have left the octave of Easter, uh, and we are now. What are we in now? Is this uh, this is post octave of Easter? Yes. Um. Well. So what? Second second week of second Easter. Week I think of, it's called because yeah, we've yeah, got second week of Easter. Right. Because we've got basically fifty days from Easter to Ascension Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um. Fifty three days if your diocese does the weird. I was going to say uh, Ascension Sunday. Yeah. Goof, it's it's that will never not annoy me because the number of days are so are spelled out mm-hmm. in scripture. So like it's it's just like why would anyway? Um, yeah, you know it's pretty good. What and this is sixth week of Corona tide. I think week <laughs> yeah. six. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in my world, if it's not anything to do with taxes or the PPP program, or sorry, the last P and PPP is program. So PPP mm-hmm. loans or that stuff, I like haven't heard about it. Um, so I'm still a little bit behind the times as far as as uh, the news goes. So what what's even happening in the world? Zach, we have some potentially disturbing news that came out of North Korea last night. Oh, no. Uh, Kim Jong-un... People's Korea is supposed to be an inspiration to all of us. I don't want to hear bad news out of People's Korea. Yeah, he, I'm sorry. I'll, uh, well, this is not really confirmed. Multiple, like Some sources were saying that Kim Jong-un was, in, was gravely ill after surgery and might have been on death's door. But now reports are kind of, you know, iffy on that. They, uh, it's interesting that that news kind of got out in general, seeing as how North Korea, North Korea handles business. But, uh, they were say there was, right. They know how to do media up there. Right. There was a thing that said he was brain dead, uh, things meaning like tweets and reports. And now everyone's not sure whether to walk that back. Some people are saying he's doing business as usual. Uh, the problem is he's five foot seven, over 300 pounds and very clearly obese. So they've said he's had health trouble. Uh, so I mean, who among us at this, at this level, at this phase in Corona time, right. He's just working that not? he's just working that quarantine body. Uh, right. Well, the th- My quarantine I, body. North Korea is pretty much quarantine always, huh? So this really isn't any right. Yeah. To them. So the deal with like, you know, I mean, it's I of course I'm going to pray for him. I keep thinking if we do get the supreme leader of North Korea, um, People's Korea, to convert, yeah, we'd get like 25 million new Catholics overnight. Um, I know that maybe isn't a good way to think about it, but you, you kind of got to 
you know, what is it that your favorite author uh, says? You've got to sort of always look on the bright side. Everybody always. Yeah, yeah. We. What's uh, his name again? Uh, Bob Goff. Bob Goff. Remember yeah. when I followed Bob Goff from the podcast thing, and I turned on push notifications for his tweets. I didn't know. I forgot. And you were getting them that. on your phone. No, I forgot about that. Oh dang! I should have done it again since you forgot. Yeah, good point. Um, I uh, no, I mean, of course, we we wish him well, and I mean, if he does pass, uh, we pray for God to accept his soul. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think a deathbed conversion would be especially lovely because that would that would have a lot of power to convert people. Yeah, no, of um, course, you, we we don't, you know, we want everyone to die in a state of grace, and if he's not right. dying, then we hope that he, you know, convert has a quick conversion and people's north korea is becomes a catholic nation right and one thing i'm going to make sure to say is that you know if he does die and they show his funeral in the morning that's that's the kind of morning that i want when i go guys that's that's intense anything less yeah that's and i that's not acceptable they're wailing it's like mass hysteria in the streets only like literally like you think that the greeks are the best at funerals only the North Koreans are better at funerals than the Greeks. Yeah, it's that's uh, my take. Well, I mean, that's my one, take, ladies and gentlemen. One because potentially, if they don't show sadness, they'll be shot in the street. But two, uh, these people, and by that, I, I mean, mean if it takes if it takes putting that fear in people for my funeral, then maybe <laughs> let them know there's no guarantees that they won't. Yeah, uh, but there's no Kim, guarantees in this life, guys. Kim Jong Il, Kim Jong Un, they're propped up as these people's gods, so when they die. God has oh, died. More like right? Kim Jong Il. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Zach, I was trying to make a nice point. We have, we have Sorab on this podcast, and we're more people that haven't listened before are going to listen. So we, I was trying to put in a nice, like, nice point for them to be like, yeah, yeah, that's a nice point. Yeah. Anyway, well, that uh, yeah, we've got to be on best behavior because we do have company this guest this time. We have Sorab Amari coming on, our our dear friend. Two-time uh, guest, a year and a half. Yeah, uh, he's officially a two-time guest. Yeah, a little bit less than a year and a half, but we had him. Well, as we talked about, we had him on to talk about his book the first time, and he's written an essay, and we kind of caught up with him over his dealings the past year and a half. We didn't. Just a heads up, we didn't really discuss the David French drag queen stuff because we wanted to talk about his essay and we don't want to keep rehashing that every single time but maybe you know another time he'll come back and yeah there's plenty of people there's like whole magazines set up to rehashing that over and over again and so (laughs) uh, we can maybe drop the links if you want to subscribe to what like the national review reason uh who else literally literally every publication like there's a whole yeah there's a whole uh neoconservative industrial complex that Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, fresh from the New York Post, we have Saurabh Amari. I, uh, since the Post is technically a tabloid, uh, every so often I'll, I'll send him a message like, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for keeping some of my personal drama out of the tabloids. It's meant a lot. <laughs> nice, nice. And I it's like, like that. Yeah, I have nothing to, I, I'm in the editorial section, but mm-hmm. yeah, you just it's gotta, good to have friendlies at the tabloids. Right, you just got to keep up appearances and keep up relationships. I did see that Megan and Harry, uh, now they're in Los Angeles, so expect them to get skinnier and tanner and, and stupider. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, 
uh, sent out a letter to all the British tabloids, the main ones, saying that they weren't going to deal with them anymore. Oh, nice. But it's not like they were granting interviews to the Daily Sun. So I, I feel like it was some of a, somewhat of a provocation to send out this letter. That's the, I mean, obviously the, the thing about the, the thing about the tabloids is they, they definitely 100% always respect your, please do not follow us rule. And they, right. moved, like my... they moved to Los Angeles, which has almost zero paparazzi, Zach. Well, right. It's like my, my, I don't talk to paparazzi t-shirt is raising a lot of questions addressed by my, I don't talk to paparazzi t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do wish them well. I, I did see all those things juxtaposed next to each other about how Princess Kate, like when she was eating avocados, when she was pregnant, it was this health thing. Mm-hmm. And then when, when Megan was doing it, it was like, because she's money grubbing and all yeah. this. Like, but, um, well, that's know, the thing. We, we wish they them seem well to love because, drama and I, I respect that. Yeah. We wish them well because we wish everybody well on this podcast. We don't, we don't we like, do. to, we don't like to take cheap, cheap shots and, wish for people to not be well even the people that we don't really like like what what elon musk were the other ones that we, we tend to never do say we not anything like nice elon about. musk i don't but i i am mark cuban like i always do we not say like nice. mark I mean, cuban I, I zach the we, best need to, for them. we need to get on the same page with this i'm very confused i've never liked mark cuban huh um but i mean it's like i wish him well like i don't have any like it's not personal right one and I mean, pers- you know, what? one person we agree on who we like and who's been very nice to us is Sorab Amari. We so do. What- we've always been Sorab. We've always been uh, uh, the underscore uh, Sorab underscore respecters. Yeah, exactly. Love the uh, guy. So let's get let's get on to that interview, shall we? Let's do it. Zach, back in early 2019, we started the year off i guess that would be early we started 2019 off with a interview with a bright-eyed young man who had just written a book about growing up and coming to america from iran and making his way through his childhood and adolescence uh and it was a great book and you know it was a great conversation and then the rest of 2019 happened for this man and i i'm not saying that it's because he came on the podcast but i'm not not saying that either. <laughs> uh, it's Sora Abamari back once again after what can only be described as a turbulent 2019 slash beginning of 2020 in the the writing world. Sorab, uh, thanks for coming. What do you first of all? I I think my first question is: a lot of people last year wanted you to apologize for everything you did. So is there anything you would like to apologize to us for? I just want to keep in tradition of asking you to apologize. Uh, is, what is this, Yom Kippur? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, no, no, not really. Okay, okay, great. No, thank you. Uh, we're glad to have you back. Oh, my yeah. pleasure. Did, is, my, is, the ep, is the earlier episode we did still the most listened to? We do did, I still have the record? We did an episode where we do like an intro to the Latin Mass, and that kind of overtook everything. Ah, but that's that. I, I, I um, I'm happy to give way to 
God. And that took a lot of pressure off all of our guests because we can be like, yeah, we did one that teaches people how to go to mass. And they're <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. okay, yeah, happy yeah. to lose to that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were joking because we kept using that title and people were like, guys, your 10th episode can't still be called an intro to the Latin mass. It's got to be like intermediate at this point. Um, but anyway, yeah, welcome back. Um, it is funny to think back because, yeah, when you came on, it was to talk about, we talked about your conversion and um, we had sort of a brief uh, tangent about politics and, you know, I said, I said, you know, some people look at you as a neoconservative and, you know, we kind of talked and then a lot happened since then. I don't know that, do you get called a neoconservative much anymore? No, no, I think okay. it's pretty, yeah. We're glad that we could help you stamp out that, that title. Yeah, I, I get called other things like uh, a Francoist and a... Uh, an authoritarian before you um before we talk about this essay that you had in commentary um what have you been up to i've seen you've been off twitter and on twitter and um i think part of that was lent part of it was projects you're working on um i know that you're currently working on a book do you want to briefly talk about that or is it like too soon under embargo type no situation? no i'm happy to talk about it um okay it is you know one rolling long um book project after another it feels like but the the new book uh it's actually due may 1st and believe it or not i'm on i'm on schedule which kind of wow. astonishes me because when i in let's say january i was having a real freak out but somehow it all came together um it, it so the the essay we're about to talk about is in a way is drawn from cutting room floor material from the book Oh, okay. um, but it is not okay. not from the book. Yeah, so it poses tw 12 questions that our liberal, technocratic, scientific civilization doesn't ask, and which I think are important. And the frame is that I want to transmit something to my son, who is now three years old. He turned three, actually, this week. Oh, um, nice. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um and and I want to, uh, I don't know, intellectually inoculate him or prepare him or to suggest to him that there are other ways of, of seeing the world than the worldview that he'll inherit from our civilization. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that this is a project, but I'm I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a theologian, so it's not a work of original scholarship. It's more a work of intellectual journalism and popularization and each question in the book is um explored through the life of one great thinker some of them ancient ones like augustine some of them more modern ones like andrea dworkin um i assume you'll be contacting me about my chapter or uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do i say to that um yes you yes, can just be. you can just tell him no just straight up look him in the eyes and say no sir uh what i like i like this this idea because i you know the older i get and i don't i feel like i'm not getting any smarter so i like when things are presented to me with as act the actual material and less about what people are reading into the material i guess if that makes sense like i like that it's a yeah i, I mean like i think it, it, in each case is more exposition and storytelling right it's been fun for me because i mean i went to law school but i never went i didn't i, didn't, I don't have i don't have like a phd program in philosophy 
but in a way it's i've designed my own phd <laughs> through this yeah. book you know sure, and so sure. i i am i'm reading like the, the primary texts of each of the thinkers but also the kind of academic matter that's generated about each of them and it's very voluminous but i kind of pick the ones that that work for me and in a way so i guess in a way i am putting my frame or touch on each of these um with andrea dorkin it'll be interesting because i noticed her late partner john stoltenberg when i tweeted out this book and i said it includes andrea dorkin he immediately you know followed me so we'll yeah. see what what he oh no pressure yeah no pressure exactly <laughs> what he thinks of me because she's i would say she was within living memory and has you know is well remembered or not well remembered anyway that's the book and the chapter you're, yeah you're well you're i was gonna say you're beating everyone to the punch because of quarantine higher education is going to start plummeting so you're basically like you said paving your own way and making your own education so you're you're already beating people to it yeah I mean, and there, there is i mean look there's really brilliant scholarship out there and there's a whole tremendous load of of overly specialized crap um mm -hmm. and so like i said this book is written for my son for my children in a way and i have this sense of mission of saying as a as a thinker myself and as a connoisseur i'd love to transmit at least the beginnings of how to think interestingly about our yeah. world and you take it from there and so it's and it sort of proposes a reading list in itself i guess by, by yeah, it does it really people. does yeah. and so if one chapter grabs onto you then you can probably go deep spend as yeah. much time as you wanted exactly delving into that section of thought well that's exciting and you see that should be coming out is it later this year or next year it'll come spring 2021 Great. excellent we aren't reduced to whatever mad max style you know zombie civilization <laughs> yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> I know. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, they have a good ebook strategy if people still aren't going to stores. Um, so, Commentary Magazine, you had the feature piece. You'll have the feature piece for May. Yeah. Uh, it's called "They Blinded Us with Science: The History of Delusion," and it. Uh, uh, my one, the, the one, one sentence, sentence. If I were just to sum it up in one sentence, and correct me if I'm wrong, it would be, "Has science satisfied the hunger for truth?" question mark yeah so it's a it's a it takes the opportunity of the coronavirus which has had everyone suddenly becoming an epidemiologist and everyone is pouring over charts every morning by everyone i mean right. journalists who couldn't solve a calculus problem to save their lives um, mm. <laughs> um yeah but, but i know i like i i had almost forgotten about to leave until this happened and i started i'll be journalists got really into talking about numbers and i was like i just picture nicholas taleb just banging his head against the wall listening to these guys try to do like Math. statistics and probability <laughs> um anyway so yeah so we, we have this i think world historical crisis i don't know if it's on a greater scale than say 9 11 or the depression i don't know what what world it'll leave behind once the dust settles but it really, to me, is an opportunity to rethink some of our civilizational assumptions, chief among which I argue in the essay, is the idea that truth is the sum of the things that can be known uh, using our senses and what we can measure with our scientific instruments and then expressed in, broadly speaking, mathematical language. 
So as Pope Benedict says in his um, introduction to Christianity, that worldview really emerged roughly 400 years ago, and he pinpointed it in the Italian Renaissance philosopher Vico's formula, verum quia factum, truth is truth is the made or truth is what is made. Um, right. So abstract speculation of the kind that that uh, on the one hand, the Jewish and Christian tradition had uh, embraced and which we'd also inherited from uh, Greco-Roman philosophy and the synthesis of the two that really was the operative intellectual mode of the West up until roughly 400 years ago had been debunked. Um, there were strict limits to what reason itself could apprehend. So better to just focus on answering how questions. How do cellu you know, uh, multicellular organisms reproduce? Um, you know, uh, how far are the heavenly bodies and what is blah, 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 blah. And those are all right. perfectly good questions to ask. But at some point, it became an ideological project to say that truth is only those types of questions. And everything mm -hmm. else, whether it's uh, philosophy or religion, is uh, superstition or opinion, provisional. It can't, it's, it's dubitable and we need indubitable truth. And the only kind of indubitable truth is scientific truth. And so yeah, that's I think what you see I take this on. in religion, especially in history, when they try to replace almost every aspect of history with um, like archaeology, basically. And they're like, well, you know, this thing that happened, you know, even not that long ago, like 2000 years ago, if they can't like dig up an artifact that like factually shows them through whatever that has happened, then they go say, well, we have no idea about this. And it's like, well, um, knowledge of this spread throughout the civilized world relatively quickly. Like you, what do you mean we have no idea if this happened or not? Like, obviously like we can't dig up a rock that tells us that it happened. Sure. But, uh, you do start to see every, even history being replaced by, some form of like hard science or natural science. And it's like, well, guys, it's not like we can't know something until we can prove it in a laboratory. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and it's across, across phenomena. And at some point it begins, like you said, to displace quote unquote, all the soft. And I hate that term, all the soft. Right. I mean, that we're just kind of stuck with those terms because those are all somehow provisional until we can, um, concretely, prove it in, 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 in using repeatable experiments, which makes no sense when it comes to yeah. historical. Like truth. I'm not a, I'm not a horseshoe theory guy. Like I think that's such a cheesy way of looking at things, but on the left, there's like Matt Brunig mm -hmm. talks a lot about how with fact checking, we, we just like totally given up any realistic definition of facts. And we've, we've like decided that, basically we've like reduced everything he's like what makes fact checking different from just journalism like these people have come to a conclusion and they found something that violates that conclusion but at the end of the day there's there's nothing that really separates this whole fact process from how all other truth is is kind of arbitrated and it to me it sort of is corollary to some of these arguments against scientism of this this notion that there's like this supreme body of of knowable proven scientific facts that are like irrefutable and that everything else is just like several steps down and 
when in fact it's not it's really more of a gradient anyway um as far as what's a fact and what's not a fact right um and, and science and, uh, itself has so many um internal limitations so for the book i ended up interviewing uh a, a, an astrophysicist at uh, and a cosmologist at dartmouth named marcello gleiser he's he's brazilian um and he 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 is the rare scientist who says whoa hold on guys science was never meant to seek out ultimate truth it will never discover ultimate truth by the nature of the scientific enterprise mm-hmm. um and uh, he, he he's got this wonderful metaphor which he calls the island of knowledge and when he says knowledge in this case he means scientific knowledge where right. um we we explore the world by scientific means and as the as the island of knowledge grows as we gather more empirical facts and we learn more and more about the inner workings of nature so do the shores of our ignorance and in other words mm-hmm. every bit of knowledge that we gather also raises new questions and those two will grow simultaneously both the island but also the shores of ignorance for as long as the scientific enterprise proceeds um and yet throughout scientific history you've had stages at which scientists have confidently proclaimed like the physicist um, albert michelson did in the late 19th century he gave a lecture where he said well at this point we've discovered all the underlying principles of physics and the right, only right. thing that's left to do is to apply them to yeah. new yeah. facts. Well, that was before um, uh, uh, Einstein's uh, special and, and general theory of relativity was published and before we knew about quantum mechanics. And I think you see that today with guys like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Dawkins, uh, uh, Larry, Kast. I do love the meme, the meme material that we get from yeah. DeGrasse Tyson. I mean, he's like kind of the crudest one, but there, there are others, and they're thoughtful, but more well, or less. Talking that, that he's like going to see the death toll from coronavirus and be like, actually, they died of respiratory failure. Yeah. yeah. Um. But... Well, do you, sorry, do you think you now you you don't really. I mean, you don't really address Catholicism a ton, obviously, in this piece, but we are a Catholic podcast. Yeah. So my, my 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 immediate thought was I I felt like I understood more what you're saying because as Catholics, we we believe in what we don't know but may learn. So if we we hold everything that the church says to be true, which means that if we do not know a certain thing we still believe it. We just haven't learned it yet, if that makes sense. So once once we learn a truth of the faith, we're obligated to learn it. And we know that uh, we, we will never exhaust God's creation, the knowledge of God's creation, right? We'll never fully learn. We'll never fully learn about God. We'll never fully learn about his creation. So on some level, it makes sense. It obviously makes sense to me that science is something that we will never fully learn if we look at it as as a you know i want to say a god in and of itself right so it makes sense to me that if you if you're looking for science to define and provide a firm concrete answer that will stand the test of time it just won't and that's not because science is bad it's just just because that's what we know about god and we know about you know life itself 
Yeah, I, I have two thoughts about that. One is to just echo or ditto the sentiment, I would say, that Pope Francis expressed in his extraordinary Orbi at Orbi uh, in a basically this empty, haunted St. Peter's Square with rain all right. around. And it was just such an extraordinary image. But the general point was that, uh, you know, this vision of enlightened man bestriding the globe with, with uh, you know, science under war, one arm and economic or technological mastery on the other has just been humbled by this event that you can, that there are constantly new ways in which nature uh, humbles mankind the mm-hmm. other i would say it's a point that pope benedict makes very beautifully in um in, uh, in the regensburg address from 2006 is just that it i don't know how directly responsive to your question this is but it just immediately came up in my mind that and it's a constant theme through my book that when the ideologues of the scientific revolution turned essentially against the scholastic, you know, uh, inheritance and, and Mm -hmm. said that, no, 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 what you're talking about is all faith. You know, we're dealing with reason and reason has to do only with things of, of again, measurable facts. Right. Right. They, what they did was they claimed to be liberating reason from dogma but what they did is that they narrowed the scope of reason they didn't Mm. they didn't widen its horizon they said we can only deal with this as things that are worth knowing or can be known and all your other stuff is conjecture or speculation whereas of course uh as saint thomas had a much wider view of what reason could could achieve right That, that he he had the framework of natural theology he said okay i can't we we can never prove prove as a matter of demonstrative fact we can never prove you know uh the trinity in that way it's not it's not the category of things you would know that right way. it has to be revealed to us it has to be revealed but mm-hmm. you can using your reason wonder if there was a first cause or a first mover and and he had this faith in reason that we could we could understand and come to an understanding of the existence of God purely using natural reason. So right, and basically, po- if you kept working out any inconsistencies um, in your in your thinking, and if you kept going, you know, everybody would get to that. Like you would get to that conclusion eventually. That there there wouldn't be a point where you could actually develop a sound case for there not being a first cause or a God yeah the idea that if you haven't reached it yet then you need to keep thinking like that's usually because a lot of atheists have read a lot of books and they do a lot of thinking and i'm always like yeah they just need to read a few more and think a bit more and they'll they'll get there um i I always thought that was an interesting kind of premise that we got from saint thomas was that yeah if people fought enough there's a lot of the stuff they would get to it you know without a doubt um so what's, in, what's in really coronavirus sad, times, what, or, sorry, one what, last one. What's really sad is that a lot of a lot of Christians have, in a sense, accepted the premise of modern scientism. That, um, in other words, they've said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah our scope is we, we're dealing with completely different things. Our truth that we call faith is just purely a matter of subjective interior feeling, and we'll stay there." 
you know, we'll stay in our lane. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, That's how you get within liberalism, the whole idea of public reason is mm -hmm. that when Christians will do these things is they'll then take their faith on these sort of deeply held things and they will relegate them to their private life. And then in public, they'll argue for things or support things that are totally contradictory to that. And you, you kind of have emerged one of the big tenets of a liberal society, which is the idea of public reason, where, where people sort of create two brains for themselves. Exactly, one that's their exactly. faith and or one they'll that they say, use to debate. They'll say, no, no, let me just believe my crazy thing inside my closed space of my church or my home. You know, give yeah. me this private space of my where I can believe irrational things. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Pastafarians and whatnot. Um, so in coronavirus, what I think is interesting, and you do talk about this in the piece, is that, you know, it's this respiratory infection. It does, um, it certainly singles out people who, you know, from a very kind of crude standpoint are not productive. Um, and it, it is kind of hard to say, like, can you do a study that tells me that we need to, I mean, it, it's, it's tricky. And I've noticed that along with the charts and the models and the facts have been a lot of emotional appeals. You know, we're all in this together. I mean, even, you know, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birch, like they, they do public service announcements that are, are very much, you know, mm -hmm. appealing to people's, what I would consider to be their higher sentiments of like caring about each other and stuff like that. Like they, there hasn't been a way, um, to say like, even the, the scientists aren't trying to use science to convince people to social distance. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're appealing to things beyond a chart. Y yeah. And that's the point I make in the piece is, um, c can we advance or f can science furnish us with a scientific account of why we're doing the, the things we're doing, why we take heroic risks or not we, why the first responders and, and physicians and so forth may take these heroic rests or why as a society, you know, we've been willing to take enormous economic pain to preserve those who are most vulnerable, who happen to be the old and infirm. Mm -hmm. And there, that that's the kind of question, which is fundamentally a question for philosophy and moral theology. It's a question for matters of the heart. It's a question for matters of conscience. And there is a true answer to it, right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen to be an answer that, that is a scientific answer. So the best, if you read all the Dawkinses and so forth and boil down the argument for why we should even go on as a species, why is it worthwhile for human beings to continue on this planet? They'll essentially say, well, you know, your neurological experiences are pleasurable or you're programmed to go on. It's the argument where in, it's the aesthetic, the the sort of Nietzschean, like everything is good aesthetics. No, no, no. It's, it's more it's that, more raw no. instinct and biology, right? So, so it's the argument from uh, your genes want to replicate themselves. Precisely. So, if you yeah. watch the um, uh, Manhattan, the Woody Allen movie from from seventy nine, at the uh, the very beginning, the, the young Woody Allen is is dejected, and his mother's taken him to the psychiatrist, and he he says, um, uh, you know. Why are you down? The doctor asks him and he's like, well, because the universe is expanding. And if it's expanding, it means one day it'll collapse onto itself. And so what's the point of doing homework? Um, and and his mother says, but I love that. He says, yeah. you're not in you're not in you're not in the universe. You're in Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn is not expanding. And, and but but the dialogue, oh, that's amazing. But, no, that's moms and grandmas have these things. They do understand these things better. But the doctor gives him the essentially the scientific Dawkins answer. He says, "Well, the universe isn't going to expand for billions of years, Alvy, and we got to enjoy ourselves." while we're here <laughs> you know that's essentially the dawkins answer is, is you know mm -hmm. you just go on because your you know neurological experiences have are pleasurable and your genes are programmed to go on that's fine for a that's fine for a turtle and that's fine it's a sufficient reason to go on for a turtle or a unicellular organism or whatever it's not good enough for a rational being who can deny, you know, defy instinct? All you know, we do it all the time. If I if I really followed quote unquote instinct, I would instantly end up in jail. So I'm a rational creature who doesn't follow his instincts in every direction and all the time. And so, we've got a lot of people out there now after 2019 that would love to see you end up in jail. So yeah, it's true. It's true. But I try to at least not give him the ones, ones that call you a authoritarian fascist, of course. Right. The ones that would be first to I try not to give him reason to, and it's because I'm a rational creature. So I need a rational reason for for why I should go on or why it's good to be, you know, preserving our species, and. As um, I quote him in the piece extensively, uh, Rémy Brague, the, the French medievalist and great Thomist says, for when it comes to a rational creature, for it to, when it's asked, why should you go on? If it appealed to unreason, if it appeals to unreason, it's betraying reason itself. That's reason suicide. Um, and plenty of people for them, the instinctive answer isn't enough, right? The, there are antinatalists who say that we should just try to stop having children until the species stops. There are extreme climate change activists who constantly say we should have fewer or no children. So scientism doesn't give us a sufficient rational basis for why the, the species should go on and yet i yeah. i completely agree and i i, would, the, I think your points echoed too by a lot of the um the environmentalists who have, have and it, now it's become a meme that everyone's saying but the sort of we are the virus corona is the cure i mean they're they're simply taking these ideas to their conclusion like yeah, that is a, very and that's chilling and and just so deeply anti-human i can't um, no i know but i mean that's but, but you're at right, the end yeah. of the day the, the the principles that a lot of people are operating on. If you were to if you were to carry those out, you wouldn't really find a scientific justification for most of what we do. And so, it, it like a lot of these things logically lead to that type of thinking. We just haven't people just haven't worked it out yet. So with uh with using our you know using our, our rational. rational the instead of being, being emotional, emotional and using irrational rational thinking, thinking like how, how do you how do we see an end and uh when it comes to like the coronavirus because you see like i i get that people you know they they want to talk about the economy and all this and some my problem is not so much that those people are necessarily wrong it just always comes across as so cold and callous like i don't think it i think it like it just doesn't appeal to the idea of having a heart, but at the same time, you're right. Like if we're looking for concrete answers about if we have enough tests, we have to do this, we have to do that. People are talking about second waves. Like, so you're right in the fact that the science won't there. If we're looking to science, it's almost like there won't be an ending point until this thing is cured. Right. So like, how do we, how do we apply these things 
So we get a an acceptable answer for everybody involved and also an acceptable moral answer that we can that we when we go to our judgment, we can. Right. You know, with all with all of our we all have varying responsibilities, but I'm saying within ourselves that when we go to our judgment, we can stand before God and say that we did what we did correctly in terms of this. And that's I mean, obviously, I'm putting it's. That's kind of a sensational idea, but we will be held accountable. Of course, the day. of course. Um, I will say this as far as my own thinking on what we should do. I, I, I waver depending mm-hmm. on the day and what's the driving headline. Is it deaths or is it, you know, soup kitchens and, and, and jobless rates and so forth? I waver. Right. I mean, I, I don't I don't have a firm mind. I'm not one of these people who's like. All along, I've been saying it's a complete mistake to shut down. Or one right. of these people, on the other hand, who are like, uh, you know, how dare you? If you question any aspect of the shutdown, how dare you? You know, how many grandmas are you willing to sacrifice on the altar of your <laughs> stock market? Right. I'm neither right. of those, so I waver. And it's because I'm, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm not an expert. So here's what I would say from the point of view of my essay. I'm not sure... I'm not in a decision-making capacity to to make that. All I would say is that Mm -hmm. ultimately the decision has to be made taking into account the good of the political community as a whole, our responsibility, our duty to the the weakest among us, and so on and so forth. And what the essay argues is that ultimately science alone does not furnish us with the with a roadmap, you know, and it's, it irritates mm-hmm. me when people are like, "Just listen to the scientists." Like, right? Like it, it can't come from a chart; it has to be a substantive decision. Substantive, made. substantive moral decision. Now, whatever the decision may be, I I don't know, and I'm not prepared to to right put one out there. But but the kind of thing where it's like, well, the scientists, what what are they saying? Well, what they're saying, they they're you're asking them wrong question. They're not, you know, they're. They can tell you how fast the virus reproduces and how to how much we've learned about how to block it and so forth. They can't tell you what the political good of a community is. That's up to, you know, well, political I mean, leaders at the end of the and, day, and, and you don't even leaders. have to think of any of them as being sinister. Even if you if you don't, I mean, at the end, like they are going to react according to their material interests. And so, I mean, I, they have a lot of valuable input. But right, there's no such thing as just listen to the science. At the end of the day. It is a political decision to decide what to do with the economy going forward or what to do and how to handle this. And I, I, to me, I think a lot of the talk about we shouldn't make this political, we need to listen to the scientists, just kind of, it just doesn't doesn't get it. Like, it is a political decision to decide what to do with the facts that are presented. And the That's facts also can't a, be prescriptive. A deeply, deeply like, liberal impulse, by the way. Like, that, that major decisions... Shouldn't be made by apolit- the polity. They should be made by the expert. Yeah, there, 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 there's a there neoliberal some, kind of you know, depolitization, like trust the graph type. Right. Thing. There, there's some kind of platonic realm of expert opinion yeah. precisely crafted for our current situation. And all that a wise political community need to do is access that realm and see what science with a capital S as though it's a person says. And you just have to apply it. It doesn't doesn't work like that. I know. And it's funny because you could dig up like even Marx and he would just die at the idea that there's people thinking that there's a class of experts who don't act according to their class interests and simply care about the good of the whole. Like, I mean, that's where I'm like, this brain of thinking is like some kind of very uniquely modern thing that that there's these benevolent 
experts with charts and stuff. It it doesn't. It's odd because the people that on both the left and the right and the people they point to in the past would say this is ridiculous. Um. So, yeah, I think that uh, it is interesting in the time of coronavirus, and uh, I I think that that's what makes this as this essay timely is just the. You know, we are listening to scientists on TV every day. And um, do you ever watch any of the Adam Curtis documentary, Sorab? No, I don't. Let me just Google that very quickly. So some of the ones he like a lot of Catholics have seen A Century of the Self, which is one he did that was a four part BBC documentary. And Catholics have seen it because he did a whole um, segment on Catholic nuns in California that hired some Freudian psychiatrist or psychologist to come counsel them. And then they all, it completely collapsed the, a whole lot of stuff happened. And so Catholics got into it and looked at the rest of the stuff. But it, to me, like binge watching his documentaries, because I'm kind of a fanboy. Yeah. Prepared me for this moment because he's, he talks so much about how starting around the beginning of the 20th century, there was this idea that everything was so simple and easily predictable with math, with, you know, very basic causes and he talks about you know freud and all these different components of it um and then in his later work he even goes into like the war on terror and the, the sort of important role that this sort of foreign enemy has to play on the psyche of justifying politics anyway i think uh you might enjoy yeah it sounds fascinating i'm Chris. looking up his wikipedia page right now it sounds yeah, I mean, I think my understanding is that he's a leftist in the, that sense, but a lot of times he gets accused of being a right-winger because, like, in my sense, it's because he's just somewhat, like, lucid in his thoughts and he just doesn't seem to fit into a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm increasingly fond of such figures, you know. We like them. They always say they're, they're quacks. I'm like, guys, like, Alex Jones. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's it, guys. <laughs> do you oh, yeah. know yeah does this does this come from just like, like especially with this crisis, crisis do you think it comes from our overwhelming need to control like i don't i don't want to this sounds kind of basic but like if we're going to supplant god or if we're going to hold these things up is that in a, more of a desire to control our own environment or control our own you know path whereas the more religious no. people, while, while, while they, they should, should be controlling, controlling while they, they should, should have, have some control over their life, we know that there's a certain amount of God's will. Not saying that coronavirus is God's will, and also I'm starting to think this is a weird question that's not really going anywhere. Well, no, it can almost be the opposite. It's like our desire to be controlled. Like, we want to ah. be able to just say, oh, look, here's a chart. So, decision made. Gotcha. Maybe. I, I, mm, that's tempting. I, you know, I... Sometimes I'm tempted by a kind of argument that's like, you know, the medievals just knew how to deal with death, whereas right. we moderns have. I don't. I mean, know. that's it, just impossible to deny. It's, it's, it's hard to deny, but it's, also it's when, like, especially the Gen Xers when they're when they're. I mean, this is maybe more, but when they're, I, I, if you've watched Gen Xers go through a death, you've seen that nothing in their life has prepared them for this or even alerted them that perhaps their parents and grandparents were going to die because it, they're just, it, anyway. Um, but, 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 but my point is, I, I'm a little bit of suspicious of a kind of argument you see in certain religious outlets, let's say, where it's like, you know, 
uh, that, like that we we, that we, this past, like in the past, we knew exactly what to do. Yeah. And we just, we just came to accept death as a fact of life. Whereas now, you know, because we don't have a transcendent horizon, you know, mm -hmm. people are, um, are doing everything they can to prevent every death in an irrational way. I mean, I, I kind of accept because look, you can you can compare the literatures of certain societies and with ours and say, yeah, like they they did have a more level headedness about death. On the other hand, I think if you're on a hospital gurney, you know, the fear of death doesn't, and the desire to put it off is so fundamentally human that I think there's right, something right. inhumane about those arguments where it's just like, you know, the ancients just, you know. <laughs> Could deal well, with that, we saw a lot of that. Kind I think of you talk can you can write that masses, when you're healthy and not dying. <laughs> yeah, like well, when masses started being suspended, I saw a lot of that in Catholic circles where they were like, "They would never have done this in you know the Middle Ages or whatever." It's like they. I thought that's how we got the word quarantine. <laughs> well, right. I'm like they did this during the Middle Ages. Like, what are you even talking about? But this idea that back then, because they they really believed it, they still would come together during viruses, and it's like, well that isn't true but also there's a lot of other there's more to it than this but it also just at a basic factual level that's totally not true um and yeah this sort of idea i i think that's sort of what you're talking about like it, it, it happens exactly... way in, in groups beyond just catholics and right and like kind of traveling in catholics but this on, on the other on the other hand is there the idea of the past on the other hand is it true that the kind of uh a secular yuppie modern uh is overly concerned with with bodily wellness to a degree that's that would have i think probably struck prior generations as odd and could it possibly because that they don't have a this is all you get so you better exercise every day mm. and eat blah 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 yeah. only kale and then you do everything possible to stave off death and disease um, right. I mean, that was, that was considered a, a, a sort of sub vice of gluttony was not, it wasn't just overindulging. It was also like an obsession with the, the quality and purity of the food that you eat. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that a lot of the sort of local, local vegan, non, like, I mean, I try to eat healthy, so I'm not going to dump on this as a whole, but I do think a certain level of this diet and fitness craze was addressed in the past and understood as a as a sub vice of or you know a species of uh gluttony i've completely let go of all my good habits during this quarantine by the way like i just find yeah, myself getting, eating I've just been all getting the time fat. like it's been <laughs> obvious it's like the only thing i kind of have to look forward to as far as material goods go is like the snack or the dinner and so <laughs> i know i'm gonna take back up smoking because otherwise i'm gonna be like 400 pounds by the end of this uh like i quit smoking last year and it seems oh, like i must not have it was a terrible idea <laughs> what one thing we're really we we like to take credit for we you know again most of the stuff we like to take credit for uh can be debated but in this case uh you were you did host some brunches after mass with some of the catholic twitter world last year just one uh just one. Okay. Well, even then, we considered that a great success for the Roman Circus podcast, uh, bringing bringing Catholic Twitter worlds together. And 
I've talked to a few people who attended that brunch, and they said that you were you were quite the lovely man, and you opened up your home to them, and they were very thankful for you. Oh, thank um, you. Well, yeah. And I don't know if you want to hear this or not, but I know exactly one person who said, I don't like anything that Sorab says or writes, but he's a very gracious host and a cool guy to be around. Um, I won't name names, but it's, a, it's one of the New York people. He's not invited <laughs> next time. No. <laughs> well, I can't tell you who it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's like, I did not expect, you know, I have a 900 square foot apartment. I did not expect, like every inch was, was filled with people. And um, it was a wonderful day. Well, free food. You know, a lot, I mean, a lot of these people are so It was a wonderful day, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, Sorab just called it a bread line, and they all loved it because they love bread lines. It was so it. nice to put faces to all the uh, St. Thomas avatars. <laughs> I know. Yeah. See, the, the best one, see, the purest of all, and I think we can all agree on this, is, of course, Mecca. Like, you can't find, for as much as he's such a, like, uh, troll at times, it's like, he's, he's a very he's the, pure hearted. He's, he's the loveliest man. He's the loveliest no, yeah, young man. There's nothing bad to say about him. Absolutely. If they want to find you on Twitter, you're at Sorab Amari. Is yeah, S O H R A B like Bravo, A H M like Mary A R I. Look for his. Piece. And when you're offline, it's because you you're trying to actually focus on your job and writing books. Mm-hmm. What reminds? Sports Lent. So if you're offline during non-penitential seasons, it's it's like me. You can't get anything done. So I know. You have it was addictive. Uh, to Twitter, it's disgusting. Remind us of the what's the name of the book, and we can find it or look for it in spring of 2021. Well, we don't have a final title yet. Okay. The publisher. Well, that's so exciting. When the title comes, we will we will help break the news. So the thank, thank you so much for joining us, Sora. Thanks we, for having we always me. love talking this to you. This was great. Thank you.